Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. Today's guest is David Bailey, CEO of BTC Inc., the parent company of Bitcoin Magazine, the Bitcoin Conference, and several other brands in the Bitcoin ecosystem. David has been deeply involved in Bitcoin since 2013, and as such, has a ton of interesting insights and anecdotes about the early days of Bitcoin and how things have evolved and progressed up till the present day. David's journey in Bitcoin has been marked by both big successes and painful setbacks, as he and his team determine how best to navigate this emerging phenomenon and bring value to others attempting to do the same. Today, David and his stellar team of hardcore Bitcoiners are really hitting their stride, pumping out a ton of exceptional content and helping to facilitate the convergence and celebration of the culture emerging around Bitcoin. Enjoy. David, good to see you again and uh, welcome to the podcast. John, thank you for having me on. So we were just talking about uh, how great the previous uh, Bitcoin 2021 conference was and what the upcoming one is looking like. But before we get giddy about that, maybe you can just briefly introduce yourself to uh, to the audience. Uh, so I'm David Bailey. Uh, I'm 31 years old, uh, coming up on 10 years in Bitcoin. Uh, I own Bitcoin Magazine, the Bitcoin Conference, um, a Bitcoin fund called UTXO, and uh, a Bitcoin experiment and and letting people earn Bitcoin over the Lightning Network uh, called Carrot. So, um, all things Bitcoin. Uh, I am a a reformed uh, Bitcoin only maximalist. Um, I've done all things crypto, blockchain, tokens. I've seen it all, and uh, as of 2018, uh, Bitcoin only. So, um, yeah, that's that's some background on me. Yeah, there's so. I mean, you've been in the space for so long and done so much. There's so much <clears throat> to break into, and I'm going to try to do that justice today. But um, we were just talking about the conference. First of all, congratulations on 2021. I mean, that that's actually the first Bitcoin conference I've ever been to, and I think that was the case for a lot of people because it was so big, and everyone had been cooped up for. 18 months, you know, the pandemic, all that stuff. And it was magical. I mean, I, I know I'm not the only one to say that a lot of people just you, you met all these people you've been interacting with on podcasts and Twitter for the last two years. And it was just never, never been anything like it. Everyone was on the same wavelength. There was so much good energy. There were so many great events. I mean, it was it was magic. What was it like for you? Because I know behind the scenes, it's sometimes a bit of a different experience. No, I mean, I like we're not trying to create a conference or an event like we're, and I, and I mean this in the uh, most positive way possible. Some people like hear this and they cringe up, but like we are, we are building an ideological movement. We're building the church of Bitcoin and we want this conference to be a pilgrimage for people around the world who believe in freedom, uh, believe in capitalism, uh, you know, uh, have hope for the future. So we're trying to create something that's bigger than a conference. It's bigger than just a festival. It's, it's really this moment for the world to come together and celebrate these ideas. Yeah. And I, I, I've dumped on an alternative conference before and I don't mean to, but just to, to paint a comparison here, I went to pork fest shortly after Bitcoin 2021, right. Which is up in New Hampshire. It's a libertarian festival. It's been on the go for a while, I think. And you know, nothing against that uh, conference or festival, but in terms of the energy and the vibe between, and because they're ostensibly both about freedom and markets and, you know, that kind of thing, totally different, totally different thing going on. And, um, 
And so the upcoming one is going to be even bigger, right? It's right on Miami okay. Beach. 35,000 capacity. Is that right? Yeah. That, I mean, the, that number is kind of based on internal estimates, but like, we'll see how we shake out. I mean, I think if the price of Bitcoin is over hundred K, we're going to blow out 35,000. It could be way bigger. Uh, if you know, the price of Bitcoin is, uh, where it's at now, I think roughly 35,000 is where we'll be last year. We sold out actually the conference. So like not only were there travel restrictions, not only were some people like us, you know, worried to come because of the pandemic, but we shut down ticket sales like two days before the conference, uh, which is like your highest volume ticket selling days. So if we yeah. hadn't had those re- like constraints about capacity last year, I think we would have been closer to twenty thousand. Um, we had roughly thirteen thousand um, who came last year. So yeah, I mean, I, w- I wish I could take credit. You know, really like we were inspired to do this event. This all, this, this, we wrote a blog post way back in the day called make Bitcoin fun again. And it was really the point in time in which we decided as a company, we were just going to go all in on Bitcoin and that's all we were going to do. And everything else was kind of just a distraction to us. Um, and you know, the Bitcoin community at that point in time was just really fractured. We had just come off of the whole, uh, civil war. People were just angry. It just wasn't fun like it used to be in the early days of Bitcoin. And so we just took a conference called Bitcoin 2013, which was a really special conference to a lot of people. It's the most probably like influential moment in my decision to go all in on Bitcoin very early in my, um, my life in this industry. And, um, uh, we just kind of cloned some of the concepts from that event. And we're like, how can we bring this event back and make that kind of special setting where people, um, can meet interesting people, hear interesting ideas, uh, can can absorb the culture of Bitcoin and then take that culture home with them and, and kind of show it to other people. And like, how can we celebrate Bitcoin and its weirdness? And the thing is, is like, like Bitcoin is credible. Bitcoin's a multi-trillion dollar asset class. Bitcoin is the hottest investment in the world. And so it's like, we don't need to pretend to be anything we are, like other than who we are. Like, mm-hmm. we don't need to like, uh, wear suits and pretend to be bankers. It's like, no, fuck the bankers. Like the bankers didn't get us here. We got us here. So if they want to come to Bitcoin, they're welcome, but they're going to come on our terms on the, on the Bitcoin community's terms, the Bitcoin community's values, not, not their values. And so, you know, we're also, we're taking a little bit of a different approach in terms of like our ethos for the event where we're not a Bitcoin maximalist event. Um, we're a Bitcoin only event. And there's a big difference. Like the difference is like, we don't give a fuck about your, your shit coining. We don't give a fuck about what you do outside of Bitcoin. It's not, it's, it's not within our purview. We just don't care. It's like, if you told me that you were into baseball, it's like, good, great for you. I don't, I just, I don't care. But, um, you know, the event is about what are you doing for Bitcoin? So, you know, you can be, uh, you know, touching a hundred different cryptos. But if you do something really cool with Bitcoin, you have a way that you are contributing back to Bitcoin and you are, are willing to only talk about that. We don't want to hear about your other stuff. Then we want you to be a part of the event. And so we're trying to build the biggest coalition possible. And, you know, to get back to the, uh, the church of Bitcoin analogy, I heard this great, um, concept the other day from someone on our team, uh, when it, you talk about like, uh, how do churches market themselves? And there's this concept of, um, being seeker sensitive. 
um, which I've never heard this term before until the other day. So I'm, you know, uh, I'm sorry if I butcher it for anyone who's like, that's not exactly the definition, but <laughs> so seeker sensitive it's it's someone who shows up at your church, uh, who's not a member of the church already. Um, they're there to just listen and learn. Uh, they are looking for answers. That's why they showed up. They, they know that something's wrong. They're looking for answers to that thing that they, they think is wrong. And they're hoping that your church can provide the answer. Um, crypto people, shit coiners are seeker sensitive people. Like they're smart enough to make it to this crypto universe because they know there's something wrong with the financial system. They know that there's something wrong with how the system works, but they don't necessarily have all the information to drive to the outcome of like why Bitcoin is, is the best solution for the problems that they're facing. And so that's what our job is. Like we, we need to educate them on why Bitcoin is, is the only answer. And so, you know, the crypto community, that's our, in my opinion, our biggest opportunity to grow the Bitcoin ecosystem is to take all these seeker sensitive people that are out there actively looking for answers. They've already walked half the intellectual journey required to become a Bitcoiner. And we need to bring those people into the fold. And, um, you know, the, the Bitcoin maximalist scene, you know, I love it. I mean, I, I, there's a, a brilliant people that make it up but they can also come off as very fire and brimstone. Um, and you know, we're trying to have a little bit more of like, we're the, the cool, uh, uh, the cool, uh, new church that has the electric guitar that's playing at it. Um, you know, like we're all sinners here. All right. So we don't care that you're a sinner as long as you're, you're actively looking for the solutions to make the world a better place. And that, that's what Bitcoin's all about. It's not about, the technology. It's not about the NGU. It's not about making money. It's about spreading freedom to people throughout the world. That's the mm-hmm. core reason why people showed up to build Bitcoin in the very early days. That's why I'm excited about Bitcoin. The other parts are great. I love the number go up part. It's, <laughs> it's amazing, but um, it, it's it's really about freedom. So anyone who wants to join that coalition and help us spread freedom, we don't care who you are. We don't care if you're from the Taliban. We don't care if you're a senator in DC. Like as long as you're following the rules and you're supporting Bitcoin and you're spreading Bitcoin, we'll work with you. Yeah, I think that's fair. And but also to be fair to maybe the more hardcore maximalist types, I think they are also they pr- they understand how much Bitcoin is a forcing function for freedom in the world, and they desire that so much as well. I think it's just a matter of interpretation how to how to uh, you know spread it. You know how to the spread the good word. The fire and brimstone crowd is not wrong. The fire and brimstone mm-hmm. uh, crowd is like, if anything, the most right of everyone in terms of like uh, 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 the most straightforward interpretation of of the information that's out there and the and the goals that they have. It's just not necessarily the most effective marketing strategy for bringing people into the into the community. So I think there's a role for both of them. Um, you know, I'm I, I I very much am happy that we have the toxic maximalists um, because I there's a, a lot of people that um, they're uncomfortable with the ideas of Bitcoin and they want to water those ideas down to a degree where they can remove them from what Bitcoin is. And like, we got to fight back against that because then they're actively being counterproductive to the cause of freedom. Um, but likewise, there's a lot of people who are just searching for answers and are early in their intellectual journey and they just don't know. I mean, no, I, I have yet to meet anyone who comes into, into Bitcoin or into the crypto world 
And on day one as a Bitcoin maximalist, I don't even know how that's possible. How you can have the conviction <laughs> to be like, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist solely. I'm not even going to read anything else. It's like, what are yeah. you doing? You know, you so, can't. I mean, if you do that, it's it's fake, right? It's not real. Right. You haven't gone through the gauntlet, really. Even if the gauntlet's just intellectual, you don't necessarily have to get wrecked to get there. But oftentimes, that's kind of part of the journey. I I, I agree. I actually think getting wrecked is part of the journey. You know, and it's it's uh, uh, if if sinning had no repercussions in life, then everybody would just sin all the time because it's like, why not? You know, it's like you right. need to have some of the 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 pain to learn. But mm-hmm. like, uh, um, regardless, it's just like, we have a, we have a hundred million users right now in four years time. We're going to have a billion users. We got 900 million people that are going to come in. They know nothing. They don't know about not your keys, not your Bitcoin. They don't know about the difference between Shibu Inu and Bitcoin. They don't know the difference between layer one and layer two. I mean, they're at the very beginning of this intellectual journey. We need to help as many of them as possible along. Um, and you know, kind of keep dog fooding them information. So, I mean, yeah. I and and for, for you guys and for those for whom that is like a genuine calling, like I'm all, I'm behind it. I think it's great. But what I love about Bitcoin is that it, because it's freedom money, everyone can do as they please, right? If you want to be like that hardcore, like, uh, what's the term? Like, um, fundamentalists, right? Then go for it. And if you want to be a more inviting sort of whatever, go for it. And what I, what we're finding, and this is one of the aspects of this whole phenomenon that I I like to explore the most is the personal change, but also how the personal change creates an emergent culture. And what we're seeing is like, okay, this group of people decides to act this way. This decides to act this way. These ideas have play here, these philosophies and principles. And something is bubbling up and we don't really know exactly what it is yet. There's some pieces we can tease out. There's some principles like freedom, right? That we, that, and sovereignty that seem to be core to this about what I, and this links back to the conference because like the conference is uh, an opportunity to see it all come together. Right. And what I think, what I think is great is that the more, like, as you said, some people come for NGU, some people come for freedom, some people come for, you know, whatever. There's many, many reasons. But as, as this thing grows and as more people come into the fold and the principles that are inherent in Bitcoin start to get pushed out into the, all these different aspects and, and corners of culture, the surface area of this thing that appeals to more and more people grows and grows and grows. Right. So next, you know, I, I believe part of your original introduction into this was kind of libertarian Austrian economics mindset about money and, and, politics and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, nowadays you, there's a lot of different hooks out there that have nothing to do with any of that. Real, really, at least 100%. initially. 100%. And as this is, it's so cool to see a new counterculture emerge, which I think we both agree will eventually become the dominant culture uh, and seeing how these ideas and principles are coalescing, right? Seeing everyone just throws in their behavior you may agree with it, you may not, but everyone just throws it into the mix and something really unique and special is bubbling up to the surface. And conferences like like 2021 and what you guys have been putting off is an opportunity to like really palpably get a feel for that. And it feels good, you know, I'll say that. And, and like there is not one monolithic Bitcoin community, like for sure. It is a, a coalition of many different groups with many different reasons and like, I think that's what makes it anti-fragile. And I mean, it's so cool to see the, 
the tech investors, the libertarians, the sex workers, the humanitarians, the the Wall Street guys, the plebs, the drug dealers, <laughs> the Saudi sheiks, the football players, the uh, comedians. I mean, it's like the craziest hodgepodge of characters and people. And it makes it kind of this like spectacle you can't look away from a little bit. And, and I don't know. That's what I'm kind of saying about like, like Bitcoin doesn't need to be anything other than who we are. Like we just need to be authentic to ourselves. That's it. And well, like, that's the thing. Yeah. And so, um, but being, I mean, that's what you look at any other cryptocurrency, what other cryptocurrency out there is authentic to who they are. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, they don't even know who they are. They don't even know what their purpose is. Uh, and if you were just like, Hey, we're here to make money, there would be no culture. So, um, and, and you know, it's like culture is, is information at scale. Like that's why churches have so many memes and so many icons at, uh, because like people are not going to do the homework. They're not going to go and listen to, to every podcast that you've done and read every book that's out there. They're going to, they're going to use memes. They're going to use imagery. They're going to use HODL. There's so much information packed into the word HODL that Mm -hmm. you can write a whole book on it. Or you could just skip the book, say a little, and like you got the you got the cliff notes. And so the conference is really about spreading culture globally to all of these remnant countercultures and uh, distilling these ideas in a way that's consumable for the mass market. So we can go from 100 million to 1 billion to 8 billion, and and we can take over the world. I mean, it's, it's hyper Bitcoinization is the goal. 100% adoption or bust. <laughs> totally agree. And, you know, it's interesting that you kind of open this up with saying you kind of treat this as a religion and you want the conferences to be like a Mecca sort of thing. And again, this is a topic I, I love exploring and we're all just speculating here because it's all so unprecedented and, and kind of new. But to that point about memes and symbols, it's like, why is it that certain memes and symbols are so rich with meaning that's so gripping? Because some memes and symbols that we interact with on a day-to-day basis are very non-gripping. They, they perform their function to convey information that we use to, you know, orient ourselves. But there are some symbols in the religious domain, in, the, in, in other domains, that are so rich with meaning. And I think part of the reason why Bitcoin has that kind of gravitational or magnetic appeal is because the principles that it represents and that it helps instantiate in the world freedom and the other one that you just mentioned with which i totally agree with honesty and truth right kind of bare open honesty authenticity and truth those two things are like some of perhaps the most meaningful principles to us and also i think particularly in the context of a world that has departed so much from them right that we live in this fiat world where authenticity is not you know, really rewarded. And in fact, like the opposite of it is rewarded. This kind of superficial superficiality and where all of our institutions are in, are, are infected by the fiat, uh, the corruption in the fiat money. And so their incentives lead them astray from being forthright and honest and, and principled to being something different than that, right? Something, a dilution of that. And in many cases, outright, outright, um, well, outright fraudulent, of course, but just outright misleading, outright, not true un, you know, not adhering to those principles of, of honesty and truth and, and freedom. 100%. And so I think that's 
you know, why has this explosion? Why are people so passionate about this thing and being drawn into it? Like, you know, moth to a light because it's rep, it, it, it seems to represent a way to uphold those principles in a world that's gone so far astray in a manner that can't be stopped. It's right? the in, light in, in, in darkness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, of, of course, there's going to be religious language used around this thing because there's a lot of overlap in, in those two domains. So, you know, religion is, uh, Bitcoin as a religion is something that I've, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about as of, you know, the past year, I, I, uh, um, there's a lot of unexplored territory there. Totally. You know, people, people cringe when they hear that, you know, my takeaway is like, I don't think we actually understand what religion originally was. Like, I Bingo. think that we've, we've, the, the concept of religion has been so changed in today's society that we look back at that and we're like, Oh, you know, religion is this mythology or whatever. When really like religion was an ideological revolution and, you know, some set of values, some protocol for values, um, that if you follow these protocols that it led to prosperity, it led to, uh, you know, living a good, honest life. I mean, it's the same language we use in Bitcoin. It's like, Hey, all you have to do is hold and you'll have prosperity. You'll like, be delivered. You'll be delivered. <laughs> you know, uh, um, you know, if you, if you're, you know, a no coiner, have fun staying poor. That's like, you know, if you don't believe in God, have fun burning in hell. You know, the, the, um, I mean, I can go on and on and on about this, but I mean, imagine like the, the thing of the nihilism that we have today, like that's part of the reason why it's like Bitcoin is hope is because everybody's just nihilistic. There is no hope. And then it's like, you see this thing that however small of a chance of success it is, at least there's a chance of success. And it's like, okay, Jesus in his time, he's coming at the end of the Roman Republic as the Roman Republic is really collapsing to become the Roman dictatorship, um, you know, the same fiat issues that we have today are permeating throughout the Roman empire as they dilute down their, their currency as the rule of law, the values that their society says they uphold are all obvious bullshit to everyone as the religious elite, of the Jewish, you know, the, 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 uh, Jewish faith become in intertwined, uh, with the political elite to such a degree where the religion stops having the same sort of authenticity, um, you know, where, you know, uh, uh, uh G- I mean, Jesus was effectively a revolutionary. I mean, that's kind of what it, it seems like. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, uh, 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 the Satoshi and Jesus, uh, uh, parallels, um, you know, the, the, the white paper being our, our new Testament and the Bitcoin talk forms being our new Testament. Um, you know, gold being our old Testament. Um, you know, I think that there's like, uh, just so many (laughs) parallels here that it's really wild. And I think that we need to just reevaluate what religion is and like the history of religion. And if you listen to Jordan Peterson, he talks a lot about how, you know, any, any, any myths that survive for thousands of years, they survive for thousands of years because they have some purpose of expressing some idea over time that actually is a valuable idea to know. And, um, uh, like there, there's kind of an obvious truth to that. And, Uh, I think that that's the same thing that we've learned from Bitcoin is like ideas 
that are valuable persist and fight on and they attract people to them. Exactly. They can't be stopped. No no matter how corrupt the system gets, people are going to have hope and they're going to fight back. So it's like, um, uh, yeah, yeah. And the, and the, the, the symbols and the systems and the me and the memes that convey with the highest fidelity, those values and principles become the most elevated. Right. So it's not even like a, a choice. It's just something that we naturally, even mostly subconsciously do. And so I think part of, you know, Peterson's work in investigating the, the source and importance of religious narrative is trying to be conscious of that process. Right. And not not being so hubristic and dismissing it just because, you know, we're modern now and we un- we have a greater understanding of the material world and we've demystified uh our material world. And that's led us to think that we can do away with what we think was a placeholder for ignorance in the material world, which I think, you know, Peterson's been great in his work in, you know, basically articulating that that is not, not a very good interpretation of that enterprise. And that, you know, there, there's far more to it than that. And as you say, I think there's a lot of space to be explored, but the reason why I think this, I mean, why, why are we talking about this? You, like we're involved in Bitcoin, right? With magic internet money. A lot of people listening to this might, might be like, what the hell are these guys talking about? And, and uh, this is a great, this is a segue to uh, what, what's going on in Bitcoin magazine. But like, I think it's amazing that this phenomenon that is, you know, partially what we've discussed already, like the instantiation of freedom, a new form of money, a, a money, a less frictionless financial system, more inclusive, you know, all the things that Bitcoin is, why is it having such why is it creating such like a, a renaissance of intellectual exploration on economics, politics, money, religion? I mean, you know this because a lot of the a lot because of great work it, is coming it, through Bitcoin magazine these days. Because it lays bare the underlying truths that are disguised by all this these layers and layers of bullshit and, and fraud. And because it empirically is in front of us, like you know, it, you talk to an economist. You know, my, my college uh, teachers that uh, uh, taught econ, Bitcoin's a dumb idea. It'll never work. It flies in the face of every economic law that we know, like um, uh, Bitcoin's doomed. Don't waste your time. And it's like, you know, that type of uh, uh, arrogance and, you know, actually, you know, uh, uh, conviction to something that's just not true permeates all parts of our life. And, you know, Bitcoin is like the ultimate middle finger that like as Bitcoin success has defied every economic law, it's like, what's more true? The economic law that must, that we all accept is true that says this is impossible or the thing that's empirically happening in front of our faces, which, you know, cannot be denied has happened which is Bitcoin is the best performing asset of all time. Bitcoin's grown to be a $2 trillion asset class. So it's like, okay, well, you know, you can do that same thing uh, now with the energy discussion or the, the, the climate change debate or the, I mean, on and on and on and on. I mean, it, it, you, the, the, Bitcoin, the orange yeah, uh, I mean, Bitcoin is more true is Bitcoin is true. Like math is true. And I could, I could not even imagine what it must have, how frustrating it must have been to exist in society before the advent of math. Like, 
I mean, my God, every, everything could have been political. You know, I mean, how many chickens is that that I'm buying? It's like, oh, uh, I say it's a lot, you say it's a little, you know? I mean, so it's like, thank God for math. And it's, um, uh, and, and Bitcoin's the same way. It's, it's, it's just objective. It, it doesn't, it doesn't care who you are. The answer doesn't change based on who you are. And in that sense, like Bitcoin is in the truest sense, like, the, the equality, it's like equal rights for all in the same way that math treats all, you know, all people can use math equally the same, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, and, um, there's just a, uh, uh, fundamentally, um, fair, uh, uh, principle to that. That is just like, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to explain that more deeply, but um, well, it's, it's, it's extremely interesting when that type of absolutism that you kind of describe in, in math is brought to money, which is a deeply social instrument, right? And so introducing such a absolute into the social network of humanity, it's like, well, what happens then? And I think we're seeing that one of the things that happens is that it reveals the degree of, for lack of a better term, the the politics in the social milieu, right? And so, and, and I think what a lot of hardcore Bitcoiners are finding out is like when you replace the negotiable aspects of our social interaction with an absolute in the form of what allows us to, you know, store and transfer value, to put it simply, you see, well, there's a huge displacement that occurs and the, the latter displaces a lot of the former. And that's what the kind of orange pill is. Like you look out on the world after seeing how influential money and in particular an absolute brought to money is to all the different institutions and aspects of culture and society and individual behavior. You begin to see the relationship there. Well, then all of it is is brand new. And that's why there's I think there's such an intellectual explosion because you're like, oh, I didn't really understand that thing or that thing ha- has a very different character now that this element is of absoluteness, you know, to be a little bit narrow with it, but is brought to it. And so now I can think about it anew. Like now I can think about politics and money and economics and philosophy and religion and individual development, all with fret and the energy debate and history all with fresh eyes and man how amazing is that you know because it's for for a lot of us you know if you came to bitcoin i think curiosity has to be at least a component of that right if you just think the world is set and you know your narrow tunnel view you probably didn't come to bitcoin but if you had a little spark of curiosity you're you're right 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 so you need that little spark of curiosity to say like what if you know and if if you say that and then you get, come into Bitcoin and then the what if becomes like a, a much, much bigger what if. I think for a lot of us, it's just so enjoyable to talk about all this stuff. And of course, like maybe it is ridiculous that we use religious language to approach this phenomenon. But I, what I, what I love about this space and again, what, what's happening at Bitcoin Mag, because a lot of great intellectual uh, power is coming out of that right now is that we just get to do this. Like it's, it's, it's fun. We're not assigning any necessary relevance to it. Like, I don't know if any of the things that I say or you say, or anybody else says about any of this stuff ultimately will be proven to be true or useful or productive or whatever, but it feels good. It feels good to be so stimulated about something that, that is, seems like such a powerful force for good in the world. You're filled full of the Holy spirit, man. 
There you go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like, and I think it maybe have brought this up before on your podcast, but like we are, we're at a very interesting point in time where I feel like everything that's happened so far in Bitcoin, uh, has been foretold up until this point. Like if you go onto the Bitcoin talk forums, everything that's happened while people didn't believe it was going to happen or people said, you know, that you're, you're eating, you know, dream cookies. At least someone wrote it on a forum post somewhere. Like one day McDonald's will accept Bitcoin one day, you know, uh, a nation will declare it legal tender one day. But what I've kind of found is that no one's really spent much time exploring the level beyond that. Like, where do we go next from here? Mm. And, uh, I think that, that the game is about to change a lot for Bitcoin. Like, uh, the first nation accepting Bitcoin, that's an oddity. That's, that's something that's like interesting four years from now, like in the next bubble cycle that we go through, there's going to be 20, 30 nations that have Bitcoin as legal tender. We're going to start getting to the point where, uh, Bitcoin's not just some kind of oddity that you can observe. It's happening to you, whether or not you like it, it's happening to you. It's going to be affecting supply chains. It's going to be affecting, uh, 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 semiconductors. It's going to be affecting energy. It's going to be affecting education. It's going to be affecting your job. It's going to be affecting your savings. It's going to be affecting your political system. So it's like, like we're, we're now going into a new place and no one really knows what's going to happen next. And so, um, I think we need to spend more time. Like there needs to be more people with the conviction that like, this is happening. Like, like Bitcoin is happening. We're going to hundred percent adoption. Now let's like put our mental state in such a place where like, what's the world going to look like with 1 billion Bitcoiners? What's the world going to look like with $100 trillion, uh, uh, Bitcoin market capitalization? What is the world going to look like when Bitcoin mining is consuming 25% of global energy production? Like, like we need to be like, that's where the mind we need to be like spitting out ideas. And yeah, a lot of it can be bad and a lot of it can be wrong, but some of it will be right. And like Mm -hmm. those ideas will inspire people to make decisions today, maybe differently than they otherwise would have. Um, you know, one of those things, for example, is like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, the whole kind of cliche, uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. All right. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, how many times has that been written without anyone ever actually evaluating like, Hey, then they fight you. Like, like, what's that going to be like? Like, what's my game plan for, for when they fight me? Like, I asked this to somebody the other day, uh, uh, what is your game plan, John? If, if Bitcoin is made illegal, you're, you're in Canada, right? No, I'm in an undisclosed location. Got it. Not in Canada. <laughs> uh, so in whatever place that you're at, what are yeah. you going to do if tomorrow you wake up and it's big, Bitcoin is illegal. You have to sell your Bitcoin to the, your nearest central bank. You have, you know, 14 days to do it, or you're going to be a, a fugitive. What's your plan? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's an excellent question, and it's one that I think we're all starting to put more time into. I mean, the reason why I'm in an undisclosed location is part of the answer to that question. So, you know, it's and I, I wouldn't be very good at doing what I'm doing if I disclosed all of it. But sure. the, the, the point is, is that th this whole thing is about establishing freedom and sovereignty to the utmost degree and having a money that allows you to do that in the way that it does is like a big part of the battle. But as you say, as you know, as we extricate ourselves from one system and try to push in and create another one, there are going to be some frictions. And I, and I think a lot of Bitcoin, and this is where the Citadel meme kind of comes from, at least everyone has a bit of a different interpretation, but my interpretation of how a lot of Bitcoiners are thinking about it is how do we optimize the transition, right? How do we make it through the transition from the fiat world to the Bitcoin world? And what does that mean for where should we should be? What our energies, you know, how in, how dependent are we on various systems such that we can be compelled to do whatever, you know, what you just said to do, like we, that we can comp be compelled and coerced in different ways. And that's particularly exacerbated by the current situation around the pandemic, of course. And so I think everyone's thinking about that. And there may not be any perfect answers because, you're always, everyone has vulnerabilities, and I don't know if there's any way to eliminate them entirely, but I think the question that you just posed is one that everyone should be asking. And, and you know, a lot of people might chime up and say, like, you know, you're, you're being an alarmist or you're, you're taking this all too seriously. And, and my approach has always been plan for the worst and hope for the best. I mean, what's, how, how does how do you do yourself a disservice or how is it bad for you if you simply make yourself more impervious to you know being compelled in various ways i well, mean freedom the, is the, the ability to say no so you should be able to say no in in the most places you possibly can people who would say that i'm being an alarmist with that <clears throat> don't have conviction in bitcoin that's my point like like if you have conviction we're going to 100% adoption we're going to a billion users in the next 4 or 5 years like this, these, this friction, it's not going to get less. It's going to ramp. It's going to ramp a lot. And so it's like someone saying, Oh no, like, you know, you're being alarmist about it. I'd say, no, that person is being completely naive because they're not actually working from the framework. This system is going to keep expanding. This friction is going to keep growing. And so, you know, like in, in the, uh, and we're like in the Western world. I mean, as bad as it is, it could be a lot worse. Imagine if you're a Bitcoiner in Turkey or a Bitcoiner in Vietnam or Indonesia or a Bitcoiner in China right now, a Bitcoiner in, in uh, uh, um, uh, Ukraine right now. It's like you got a target on your back. You got a government that has no issue throwing you in the back of a, a van, putting a hood over your head. I mean, like that's that's the level of seriousness that Bitcoin's about to go to. If Bitcoin goes to a million dollars of Bitcoin or five million dollars of Bitcoin, the 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 elites that that control societies throughout the world. I mean, in every country, there's an aristocratic class. So the aristocratic class who is left out of this, and I know, thank God, part of the aristocratic class is coming along. We'll have at least some friends, but you know, they're not going to be like, dang, I missed the boat. Um, you know. Uh, now I'm just going to resign myself that I'm going to be the surf in this equation. And, you know, I'm going to let these libertarians, uh, tech, uh, nerds, uh, <laughs> who have never been in a fight in their life where I've 
maybe I've, I've had someone killed before come in and, and make me poor. Hell no. Your Bitcoins are my Bitcoins now, you know? And so like there, there's a, uh, Bitcoin is a very big thing. There are many, there Bitcoin is used in every place on the planet. There are people who are not in good circumstances right now as Bitcoiners in their communities. And it's going to get worse for them. But maybe mm-hmm. before it gets worse, uh, like for the West, it'll get worse there. And so I just, I feel like, um, this is something that re- deserves a lot of attention now or people are going to be end up like, I have no intention of ever giving up my Bitcoins. Like if it became illegal tomorrow, I'm leaving like a refugee in the middle of the night. Um, there's going to be a lot of people put in that, that situation. So I announced this on Dennis, uh, Porter's podcast the other day, uh, doxing myself here, but I just bought a house in Puerto Rico. Uh, I'm moving to Puerto Rico at the end of this year. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's the Alamo of freedom for me, uh, or if it's like, you know, the, the first line of defense for freedom. And maybe there's another spot to jump to, but I do think that Bitcoiners need to find a frontier that they can dominate because there's always been a frontier, a wild West where people could go where there wasn't an established law and orthodoxy. And they were able to build a new society. Um, you know, whether that was Huguenots fleeing the Catholic church in France to go start the, the, you know, um, Netherlands, whether that was the pilgrims leaving religious prosecution in England to come to America, you know, whether that was like people heading out West, uh, um, there's always been a frontier people can go to. And I don't know where that frontier is right now, but there needs to be a place for Bitcoiners around the world that are worried about their day-to-day life to be able to go to and have some sort of stability in their life. I just think that that's the, the world needs that. Um, yeah. and, I, and I don't know where that, that spot is. A couple questions off the back of that. Why Puerto Rico? Cause you know, right now a lot of people in the world, would like to move to the, you know, red state U S because they seem to be the places that, that they value and prioritize freedom more than anywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I live in Tennessee now. Uh, so Tennessee, I mean, I, I thank God I'm not living in New York or, or SF or something. Um, you know, my issue is, is that the States don't really have that much control in the, in the, the U S um, Puerto Rico is unique, uh, that it's a U.S. territory. So, uh, it has its own kind of, president equivalent it doesn't have any representation in the Senate. So there's no federal taxes on it. Um, they get to write their own constitution. Uh, like they're, they still use the U S uh, uh, U S legal system and court system, but they, they have a level of autonomy that's unique from what any state has. Second, um, any country as an American that you go to, uh, America is one of the only places where you owe federal income taxes, no matter where you live. So, uh, uh, you either have to pay your taxes or illegally not pay your taxes, uh, or renounce your citizenship. And, uh, when you renounce your citizenship, there's an exit tax on that. Um, so Puerto Rico is unique in the sense that it's, I don't have to renounce my U S citizenship. Uh, I don't have to pay an exit tax. I'm able to legally avoid, um, uh, the tax liability that I would have in the States, which, to me, like, uh, not only do we uh, want to put all of our money in Bitcoin and divest our fiat, we also need to minimize how much we're paying in taxes because paying in taxes is is propping up the apparatus of the state. So, 
both of those things need to happen. And so, uh, Puerto Rico to me is a place where, uh, not only can I, I legally, um, uh, optimize for my, my tax liability, but it's also a place of 3.2 million people. And so I think it's, it's a place that can be influenced, um, politically, uh, you know, 3.2 million people, that's roughly the size of the city of Austin. So it's like, you know, if I told you I had a plan that over the next 10 years, I'm going to, I'm going to lobby the city hall of, of Austin. And I'm going to, you know, build a political apparatus in the city of Austin. You'd be like, okay, so what? Like that's not that big of a deal. Well, that same level of operation in Puerto Rico would actually be very meaningful. And because of the autonomy that they have, they'd have the ability to do a lot of unique stuff that a state couldn't do. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, uh, ideological reasons, uh, the ability to influence the local political, uh, system, um, and you know, the ability to optimize on my taxes legally. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I also, uh, uh, I wanted to be close to the contiguous United States. And so Singapore, um, would be one of the only other places I would, I would look at and, and it's too far away. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's kind of something cool about thinking, you know, if we could, if, if Bitcoiners could directly influence a place and bring, uh, Bitcoin to its people to enshrine capitalism and freedom in the laws of that place, that place is going to boom. That place is going to have a financial renaissance. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's something cool about like, Hey, can we build a Singapore in in Puerto Rico? Like, can we create a place that, uh, people around the world would be able to immigrate to? And, and if they needed to, they needed to get out of where they are, they're at, that's their unstable situation. So I don't know, seems like an adventure. And then the thing is, is like, if it's a complete dud and I'm wrong about all this stuff and you know, um, uh, Puerto Rico sucks. I can just pack up my bags and come back to the States, pretend it never happened. No one's going to know you know? So it's the risk reward yeah. trade-off is the right risk reward trade-off. Yeah. I sometimes think, you know, as a result of people trying to figure out, you know, cause Bitcoiners are very adversarially minded and they, they, they recognize that there's a potential tension here. Maybe, maybe it doesn't play out, but seems like there's a, there's a decent probability that there's some kind of a, a tension. It makes me think that like, there'll be something like the Italian city state, you know, model kind of emerge where people coalesce in an area where there's a high degree of, of political and economic freedom that fosters a tremendous, tremendous wealth creation. You get innovation, you get, you know, culture, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course, this is the kind of Renaissance idea that often gets discussed in terms of where like the, 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 the front, the frontier is, uh, like I said, I think many people are, are interpreting it in different ways, like some people in the way that you just did and others just saying, like, me as an individual, I'm trying to reduce as many dependencies as possible and then join a network of, of supportive peers that are like minded and that kind of stuff. And maybe in that context, the frontier is a decentralized one where everyone is just there's so many, you know, whack-a-moles that, that pop up that it's impossible to, to knock them all down or you, you knock one down and 10 pop up. And maybe that's the way that we get like a, a transformation of systems. Because, you know, one of the things when I have my adversarial hat on and I think about how whatever institutions would, see, would seek or desire to stop Bitcoin, 
And I mean, you kind of got to think like you got to be pretty evil to want to stop this thing. Right. Or very misled and very misunderstanding about money and economics and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you'd look at it and say, like, you know, you get your smartest minds in the room and you say, guys, we can't stop this thing. I mean, like. And I know there's there's a lot of debate about that and it's it's very rich and I think it's important to have those discussions but I think a lot of the conclusions for most people that sit around that table to think about that it's like well we can't stop it so we might as well adopt it contribute to it support it whatever and I wonder if that might negate you know the big Mexican standoff between the incumbent system and the new emerging system it might just transmute into something better rather than you know, a, a contentious, uh, stand up, you know, I, I 100% hope that that's the case. Um, you know, you're right. Like that is the logical conclusion to come to. Uh, and you know, that's why every martyr before that they're killed, uh, goes up on, you know, on the gallows and says, um, you can kill me, but it's not going to stop this movement. <laughs> it's not going to stop the, you know, the, what's going to come. And you know, the, uh, like the Roman empire eventually adopted, uh, Catholicism. They, they killed a lot of people before they did that. And they, you know, uh, what did Nero do? Uh, crucify like 25,000 people on the roads to Rome or something. So, you know, uh, I don't think they're just going to like, you know, jump through the logical steps and be like, you know what, you're right. Like it's just, (laughs) you know, let's just go like, they're going to be, be dragged. But I mean, we made a million dollar commitment uh, about two months ago to stand up a, a super PAC and a 501c4 um, uh, advocacy group. Like we're going to do what we can to fight here. And like, if we can just slow it down and muck it up um, long enough that the user base of Bitcoin can grow unimpeded, uh, then you're right. Like if we, if we get to the point where there's 150 million Americans who have, 50% or more of their net worth in Bitcoin going to be real hard to do anything to Bitcoin. Like you're going to have people blowing up your house. But if there is 40 million Americans, it's like, well, dang, there's 40 million Americans against the war in the middle East, but they don't care. There's 40 million Americans against the war on drugs, but they don't care. There's 40 million, like, you know, like there's a lot of things that have, you know, uh, um, tens of millions of people against them and the politicians, mm-hmm. like, they don't, we don't care. So I think we got to grow our user base a lot and I don't know how much time we have. So I feel like we got to, we got to fight locally and then we need to have a game plan for if that does not work, that we're not left exposed. And I think a lot of people are like listening to this conversation will be like, yeah, I agree with everything that they're saying, but they're still not making the next step in the intellectual process of like, what is your plan? What will you do? Not yeah, like literally uh, put yourself in the shoes. It happens tomorrow. What are you going to do? Yeah. I think at least part of that is it's hard to know what is the right move to make. You know, there's, it's not just into indecision or I guess it's part of the indecision, but it's like, cause there's so many unknowns, you know, there's just probabilities basically. And so it's hard to really know what the, the right move to make is, but, but you know, the thing that you unknowns when it, when, if that eventually happens two years true. from now, just as many. Yeah. Unknowns. So how do you start the process of knowing the unknowns or limiting the number of unknowns? Like that doesn't just fall into your lap. You have to do the work. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think what you just mentioned about create, you know, the million dollars towards the pack, that's super interesting because like the Vietnam War activists back in the day, they weren't all millionaires, right? They weren't all they weren't well capitalized, but in in your hypothetical scenario like when the market cap of Bitcoin is 100 trillion and you know, things really get testy between the incumbent system and the Bitcoin system, well, you got a lot of, you know, money talks, right? And you got a lot of capital when uh, around principles of freedom and honesty and openness when Bitcoin is a hundred trillion dollar market cap. And so how does that change the calculus of all this thing, all these things going down? No, I mean, totally. That's, that's the one, that's the one positive to having a corrupt government is that they go for the highest. So, (laughs) you know, I, that's a, that's a fair argument. Um, you know, I, again, like I, uh, I wouldn't, I, we wouldn't have committed the money if we didn't think that there wasn't a, a chance to do something. I think it's kind of sad when you look around the ecosystem right now, we're $2 trillion asset class and like how much, how significant is our lobbying force that we have right now? It's like not anything to be super proud of. So, you know, uh, if we are going to, um, as an, as an industry, as a community come together to really fight hard, we got to up our game a lot. And, you know, for us, like there's a lot of sensitivity of anyone taking the mantle of speaking for Bitcoin and we don't want to like speak for Bitcoin ever, or we don't ever want to position ourselves. And and that that's what we're trying to do. So like for our pack, one of our, like we have, so we have a, uh, an advocacy group, we have a pack, we haven't announced everything that those things are going to do yet, but um, the advocacy group is is really around educating people and um, building the coalition. So just uh, taking whatever narratives, trying to make sure we have really great content that counters those narratives that make it uh, intellectually feasible for people to be like, okay, I, I see the counterpoint to this. The pack is really about being um, mean and adding teeth to the lobbying efforts that are happening already in DC. So like coin center is a really smart think tank. They're coming up with really smart policy papers of like why a lightning node is not a money transmitter, yada, yada. Um, like I don't think we need more of that. What we need is like, like they can create these great intellectual arguments and they put it in front of a politician and the politician is like, I don't really care. I don't really care about intellectual arguments. Like all I care about is like, where's my, my bread coming from and what's going to get me elected yada, yada. So if we can, you know, uh, put some firepower behind that where it's like, okay, well, if you're not going to, uh, um, opine or in good faith engage with this, this intellectual argument, then we're going to drop money and fuck you up and primary you locally. And there's going to be repercussions for doing this. Like you don't just get a free pass. Like we're a bunch of, of, of nerds you can ignore. Um, and so, like, yeah, we're going to have some fun, I think, with the pack, just trolling people and uh, going <laughs> max aggressive on uh, what you can legally do uh, with a with a with a pack, which you, it turns out there's a lot you can do um, legally. So, you know, we'll fight, fight dirty. fire with fire. <laughs> <laughs> I wish yeah. we're having fun doing it, you know, <laughs> you know, it's. I think that's all that's all great. And at the end of the day, kind of like what we were saying about individuals and the culture before, like it'll take all approaches and we'll see which ones ultimately end up being the most effective. Like 
the simple economic imperative and the rewards to adopting Bitcoin as your unit of account, or at least being very open to the idea that this is a legit emerging phenomenon that you need to be giving, uh, you know, air to, I think that will be extremely compelling. I mean, look at some of the, the politicians in the states, whether it's Conger, you know, in Jackson in your state or uh, Suarez in Miami or like these these leaders that embrace Bitcoin. It seems like they get a lot of benefits from doing so, both from a you know publicity point of view, from an economic investment in the city or, or jurisdiction point of view, support you know, from a growing cohort of people online and stuff like that. So I wonder how much of a strong pull that'll be for other people, other other politicians to be like, I want some of that, uh, some of that limelight. I want some of that success because, you know, politicians are in the game, at least partially to because they have that kind of a a bent, right, to to, to want the praise and want to be in the limelight. Yeah, I think I the, the issue is, is that like I we're I you know, there is an implicit relationship between the benefits of, of, um, uh, let's just say there's a lot of people benefiting from the Cantillion effect that don't recognize they're benefiting from the Cantillion effect. Mm -hmm. And when that's made crystal clear to them, they have a lot to lose. So like a Suarez, what does he have to lose by, uh, adopting Bitcoin? He only has things to gain until there, you're told, I don't think he has enough influence for this to happen. But like, if they said, Hey, we're cutting off the city of Miami to all federal, all federal aid. All right. Unless you, unless you drop the Bitcoin shit. All right. What do you think he's going to do then? Now he has a lot to lose. And so, you know, like it's, it's easy to give lip service, uh, and say you support these things, but like, you know, if, if you get a call from Janet Yellen or you get a call from Jerome Powell, what are you going to do then? And uh, I just think that we haven't gotten to the point where that's been put to the test. I mean, this infrastructure bill is kind of the first place where they actually started making phone calls because we were going to we were going to win. And guess what? They all rolled over and we just had the illusion that we were going to win. But we never really had a chance of winning. And then I'm now I'm seeing that this this the the Congress is going to end up not only taking all the worst parts of that, but they're going to even make it a felony to do basically peer-to-peer transactions without reporting the counterparty. Um, I mean, so it's like, you know, they, they are, they only want to selectively apply influence and power uh, when needed. And so they're not just out there like running ramshot over every person who says they like Bitcoin, unless those people are actually going to influence the moment and then they run ramshot over them. So but again, like I'm not trying to be overly negative. I'm so bullish on Bitcoin. I'm so hopeful for the future. Like I'm, I, I'm all in, I mean, in every possible way, I'm all in on this and, um, uh, we will win. I mean, we will win. So it's just, uh, uh, how do we do that in a way that, that minimizes the amount of pain along the way? And how do we do it? Like, you know, I want to, I want to survive to that brighter future. And, you know, frankly, like, you know, people like me and people like you, John, who get on podcasts and plaster their face places and go on social media and harass people, uh, like, you know, we kind of put a little bit of a target on our head. Uh, so yeah, you know, like, I think one thing that we really need to do, um, getting kind of going back a little bit to the, 
putting our, our putting our mind in the hyper Bitcoinization space to to think about the what's coming next. Like we do need to think about who is in our coalition and who has power that can really strengthen our coalition. And like one group that has a lot of power is energy companies. Like uh, like there are a lot of industries that could really benefit from Bitcoin, not just really benefit where Bitcoin is going to define their industry. Energy is one of those, those industries where we are going to be customer number one, defining that entire ecosystem probably in the next like 20 years. So it's like, who's really focusing on making inroads there and bringing those industry groups and those, those, those power players uh, into the fold earlier when this type of regulation is being written, um, where they could actually, their pushback would actually do a lot of, uh, uh benefit for us. Um, you know, what about the, uh, semiconductor industry? Like we're already eating 15% of all semiconductor capacity for Bitcoin mining. Like that number is going to ramp. Like we're going to be customer number one. Where's Nvidia? In, in fighting for us? Where's Taiwan Semiconductor in fighting for us? Like, where's Samsung in fighting for us? So um, I do think we need to try to figure out who's going to be our future allies and make them allies today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I also think their own financial incentives, because this is going to be such a big customer, customer of theirs, will kind of incentivize them to do that naturally, you know, without much, you know, pressure and stuff like that. For sure. But we want, we want Exxon Mobil lobbying Washington DC today, not 10 years Mm -hmm. from now, like 10 Mm -hmm. years from now, there's going to be already a lot of damage done. So it's like, uh, um, how do we just pull those things forward by recognizing, uh, the shifting of the sands and, um, you know, like I think that there's like uh, I know for a fact, actually, that some of the biggest energy companies at the highest levels of the energy companies. I mean, shoot, we're on a podcast right now being offered by an energy company talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> so there we go. So it's like uh, what made it where this is a question for you. So the the guy who owns uh, and runs CT, is that what it's called? C- CT? Yeah, CT is the. The is Bitcoin arm, yeah. The Bitcoin arm. The company, the actual energy company is called? The Acre Group. The Acre Group. All right. So how did the owner of the Acre Group discover Bitcoin? What was his intellectual journey that got him from, you know, Bitcoin, what is this, to, hey, our energy company is launching a Bitcoin arm? Like, what was mm-hmm. that process like? To, to be honest, I don't know. They, he released a shareholder shareholder letter, which is on the website, and, was, and I think Guy Swan uh, covered it on Bitcoin Audible as well. Um, I don't know the orange pill story, but like so many others, he came across this thing. I believe there was a few touches, and then probably had a hardcore Bitcoiner in his ear, and it just the penny dropped at, at a certain point. It just clicked. You know, you know what it's like. You know, it's 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 impossible. It's, it's ridiculous. It's nothing until something that one thing clicks and that leads to a cascade of other things clicking. And, you know, as far, again, I don't have direct knowledge of this, but I, I I think he just became orange pilled. He saw that, um, this was going to be a part of the future 
nobody knows exactly how much. And as you know, like the longer you're in this space, the more you go down the rabbit hole, the more you think it's going to be, be an increasingly large part of the future. And so, you know, they, uh, they made a move and they, they created CT. And as far as I'm aware, you know, CT is going to be investing in great Bitcoin companies in the space and then probably leveraging some of their, as you said, energy assets to uh, figure out this, the, the, the proper synthesis between what Bitcoin offers and what those assets offer and, and do so something. So have there. you ever talked to the CEO of uh, Acres? You should have him on the no. podcast. I would love to. So like, and then you, need to, you need to grill him on like, like what were the things that needed to click for you to get it? What were the things that like from a business perspective made this viable at your company? How did you sell this internally? What educational resources were critical? And then we need to like take those lessons, box them up and be like, Hey, who are like, who are the, the, the 10 other acres companies that are in your network that you can take this packaged up box to just like sailors doing. And I was just going to say, I mean, sailors, one dude, and you know, he's been talking to a lot of higher up people for the last year and, you know, in boardrooms and zoom calls and that kind of stuff. And you just think it's one person. I know he's an exceptional person and all the rest of it, but you know, what about when there's 10 sailors doing the same thing and then a hundred, you know, which is why I I am extremely hopeful. Right. And the other thing is like, Bitcoin exists at all. You know, the, 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 the great Hayek quote where he's like, we're never going to have a sound money again until by some sly roundabout way it's, uh, it comes about in a way they can't stop. Like Bitcoin will succeed because it will always route around whatever political imposition is imposed on it. The issue is, you know, as you were saying, how many martyrs, how many Bitcoiners have to get caught in the net before you know, that mission is accomplished. And so I agree a multifaceted approach where yes, you work on the tech and entrepreneurs start businesses and there's political efforts. That's probably, you know, that's the way to do it, to, to attack it from all angles. But as you said, ultimately like the imperative, the, the incentives that this thing screams at people increasingly will be the thing that makes everyone capitulate eventually, because you won't be able to ignore it, whether you're an energy company, whether you're an individual, whether you're a bank, a financial institution, whatever, you're, you, you know, like it's unavoidable. And so I guess, like you said, the only issue is the timing. Is it a, a 10 year thing or a 50 year thing? And it's like the, it's, you know, my, my conviction in this is so rock solid because it's again, the empirical part of Bitcoin is like, you get to watch it play out. And as it plays out, like, it, it's proving itself. And so, you know, it's like, I wouldn't be saying all this stuff if I didn't see it start with like, Hey, we had a hundred guys home mining and that was Bitcoin mining. And now we're consuming 1%, half a percent, whatever of the global energy supply. And it's like, you don't just accidentally like hop and skip from there to where we're at now. Like, like the, the, the forces that cause that, could not be more clear that they're ever bigger and uh, continuously causing it. So it's just like, okay, well, if you don't have that conviction right now, give it five more years of just empirically watching what happens and you'll have the conviction. Like the conviction will grow in everyone as, as their time that they're exposed to just the undeniable truth of the, of the uh, growth of the system, the growth of the price, the growth of the hash rate, et cetera, all happens. Yeah. Well, you're a unique case and we maybe we should have started with this because I don't know if we really covered it, but 
you know, you got into Bitcoin in 2012. You went to that conference, Bitcoin 2013 in San Jose. That's where you made the kind of choice that this was it for you and you wanted to pursue this. And for most people, they would consider that extremely early. Like, I think I've heard you say, you know, Bitcoin was 10 bucks when you first, you know, picked up your first few. So that's a lot of observation to assist you in developing a perspective on what's going on here, how you should be involved and how you expect this to unfold. And you you obviously just articulated some of that. But what other things have you noticed and or how have you and your perspective changed as a result of being in this for 10 years now, almost. Well, I mean, dude, I I represent the redneck contingent of Bitcoin. I'm from, uh, I grew up on a farm in Tennessee. I went to the university of Alabama. I'm not some like uh, brilliant, uh, like whiz kid. I'm, um, uh, someone who had certain life circumstances that made me, maybe get Bitcoin's potential a little bit earlier, like be a little bit less skeptical than maybe a a normal person should have been. And then, uh, I've had 10 years of observation and what were those life circumstances? Well, like, um, uh, I was, uh, started investing when I was in high school and I lost a lot of money in the financial crisis. I made a lot of money before the financial crisis. I lost a lot in the financial crisis that kind of like opened my eyes to, uh, wow they lie to you. You know, um, you know, I worked for a a venture shop. I interned for a venture shop that did microfinance. And, you know, I learned that 80% of the planet doesn't have, you know, financial services. Half the planet doesn't have a bank account. Like mobile banking, like Impesa is, uh, uh, how most, uh, uh, transactions are happening in places like Kenya. Um, and so I kind of saw the system as a whole, for the world had a lot of problems. Um, I interned for a hedge fund and I saw kind of how the game, how the industry is played, the financial services, uh, investment banking game is played. And it's, um, you know, it's like there's insider trading rules or whatever. It's like the whole point of running a hedge fund is because you think you have an information advantage that's non-public over other people. Like, like, the name of the game is insider trading. Basically <laughs> you're just trying to figure out like which information you have is actually useful and not useful, but it's all insider. And so that was an experience. And then, uh, it, like there's an Austrian economics, uh, think tank, actually the Mises Institute, the main one is in Auburn, Alabama, which is just down the street from where I went to school. And so I was exposed to that. And so it was like the confluence of like, uh, my naivety being burned up on the financial crisis, knowing that there's a, like a global issue with financial services for most people in the world, uh, knowing that wall street is like a, a dirty game. And then, you know, being exposed to kind of the ideological tenets of Austrian economics and, and free market capitalism. And then like the confluence of all those things, like if I didn't have all those things, then, you know, when I was doing my initial DD on Bitcoin, I think I wouldn't have been as like ready to make some leaps. Like I still thought Bitcoin was a scam when I started with it. And I was like, it can't work for all of these reasons, but I worked through the list of reasons why it couldn't work to the point where I couldn't tell you why it w- it wouldn't work. And, um, I think if I had been missing any of those pieces of experience, I don't know if I would have gotten there. So, but anyway, the, you know, uh, that part was luck. And then, um, you know, 
any person of medium intelligence probably would have had ironclad conviction after five years in this space. Um, you know, me as a redneck, it took me 10 years. So, you know, I'm, uh, it doesn't take a, a brilliant person to just like look at a avalanche coming down a mountain and be like, yo, that avalanche is going to make it to the bottom of the mountain. Like, it's just, it's, it's a self-evident thing at that point in time. So, you know, that's, that's my journey. And then I've been, I've been lucky that, you know, I got into media, probably the same reason every podcaster starts a podcast because they want to have a vehicle to meet people. They want to have a, a vehicle to, to learn from like the best and brightest. And if you just hit me up and said, Hey, can I, can we ch- chat on the phone and talk about ideas? You don't really hear back, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I, I got started in, in media cause I didn't know what to do. Uh, I went about it totally the wrong way, but I eventually figured it out, but I got to interact with entrepreneurs all over the world. And, um, I got to see why they were building Bitcoin, what brought them to Bitcoin before Bitcoin had a billion dollar market cap before Bitcoin was all about the money. And there was like, Bitcoin's gone through different phases, but in the beginning it was never about the money. Like sure. In theory, we were all going to get rich but we were all broke at the time. So like at the time it was like, Hey, this can, this can, this is actually a solution to the, to the, the monetary crisis of centrally controlled economics and centrally planned economies. And, uh, you know, the, 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 everything we've already discussed, I don't know. I don't have to preach to the choir, but you know, corruption of the money, corruption of the money. And, and, it was so empowering to see all these entrepreneurs around the world united by that idea. And also like I got to travel to, to meet all these meetups. Like I went to every conference in the world on the topic for like at least two or three years. So I like the first 50 conferences that happened about Bitcoin or crypto or whatever, I was at all of them. And like, if you, if you met the Bitcoin community in Argentina or Tel Aviv or Berlin or Tokyo or Shanghai, or San Francisco or, um, uh, uh, Moscow, each of these communities was unique. Like they, 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 each community had like some angle through which was why they are, are appreciated Bitcoin that was different than the rest, but they all had the similarity of the same ideological goals of freedom, self-sovereignty, To be an individual in control of your own life, and uh, and so you could instantly. I would meet someone for the first time ever from a different country. They speak a different language natively. Their English is butchered, and almost immediately we could become friends because we we shared something in common that that uh, was kind of a, a deeper connection. Um, even though like maybe the Argentina community, they liked Bitcoin for payment reasons and maybe, you know, the Chinese community, they liked it for speculation reasons. And maybe the San Francisco community liked it because of tech reasons. And maybe, you know, the Tel Aviv community liked it because it's gold and it's better money. Tel Aviv community has been, they're, they're good Bitcoiners there. So like it's, (laughs) it's, it's interesting to just see these different communities around the world all united in this coalition. And so just to be exposed to that, it was like, fuck, this thing is being attacked by brilliant people all over the world in all these different ways. 
like it's instead of death by a thousand cuts, it's like life by a thousand blooming flowers or something like that. And, um, uh, and then to meet these entrepreneurs that were just driven relentlessly, like they just, they'll, they'll lay it all on the line. It was like, um, a special how thing. Could you not want to, yeah, yeah. How could you not want to be a part of that? Yeah. And, and that's part of the reason too, that I think I'm in an interesting place to try to have this Bitcoin only focus rather than like, you know, Bitcoin maximalist focus, because there are a lot of people, and I know this is controversial and I get fucking flamed every time I bring this up, but there are a lot of early Bitcoiners that I know in their heart of hearts, like they're here for the cause. And a lot of early Bitcoiners, the reason they were early is because there's something wrong with them. Like they're fucking hard headed or they're like radical or they're like, you know, there's something about the, the black sheep or something earlier. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, you know, Roger Veer. I know a lot of people are mad at Roger, have a lot of good <laughs> reasons to be mad at Roger. I've gotten the opportunity to know Roger and, and interact with them over a long period of time before all the, the fork stuff happened after the fork stuff happened, dude, he's a good person who loves freedom and he's all in on freedom. And he had, and he's so headstrong. The guy will literally wreck himself, uh, uh, and not want to back down, but like not want to back down because he's so convicted that he's in like his, the way he's pursuing freedom is the right way. And like, you know, I feel like, uh, uh, we share a common cause with the Roger Veers, the Eric Voorhees, the, the Jihan Wu's, the, the CZ's. I mean, a lot of these guys that even launched the launch shit coins, I knew them back before shit coins were even a thing. They were diehard Bitcoiners. Like I'm willing to bet you, if you'll look in CZ's wallet, what he's holding He's holding Bitcoin, a lot of Bitcoin. Go look at Justin Sun's wallet. Just, Justin even says this. He's rocking 60,000 Bitcoins. These guys are, 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 are Bitcoin people. Uh, and it's like, uh, I'd rather them be a part of our coalition and figure out ways to have them um, uh, add value to the Bitcoin community than just like, you know, have this like, Hey, permanent, the bridge is burned and, and we're at war with each other until one of us dies. Um, mm -hmm. and so, uh, and I feel, I feel comfortable making that stance because I knew these guys and, and gals before everything got how it was. And so I just like, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I see both sides. I'm not saying that they're yeah. not, they're in the, they're not wrong. I mean, everyone can be wrong in their life about stuff, but, um, you know, anyway, so I had to, just I, I a perspective on how all this unfolded that I think colors, uh, uh, colors my approach of how I look at it today and, and the, our strategy about what type of products we build, what type of community we want to encourage, what type of coalition we want to encourage. And, and frankly, like I have a mission, the mission is hyper Bitcoinization, and I really just do not give a fuck if people have a problem with how we're approaching it. I'm not doing this for other people. I'm doing this for me. And if you want to share in that same mission, join us. If you don't like that mission, fuck you. I don't care. Don't waste my time. So it's like, yeah. And what I love about the, the, the pure, like this space is just, and which is why I don't get bent out of shape about 
if people are too toxic, if people are too this or too that, because all I see is people expressing their values and principles out in the world. And as a result of that, also accepting that they will be judged for that. And I think as a result of all that activity, we just see which principles and values are most elevated. And I think that's good because that helps us inform our own decisions and construction of value hierarchies and all that kind of stuff. So like, you know, someone like Roger, not that I want to belabor this point, but like, I hear what you're saying and, you know, hardcore libertarian his whole life and has always talked about that kind of stuff. But to what degree did his hardheadedness and let's say mischaracterizing Bcash as Bitcoin lead a certain cohort of people astray, right? So I, I, I can totally appreciate why people judge Roger negative to, negatively totally. for that, you know? Uh, but He's again, what I love it for the rest of his life. Right, right. And, and we act and we're judged for our action. And I, 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 Really, I don't know. I, I I accept that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I accept that we each just choose our own way and our ideas and perhaps even ourselves as individuals or entrepreneurs or whatever get elevated or uh, or not based on how the hive mind of the world, the market, the network, what have you, uh, values our contributions and how we act. And that's how it should be, right? That's that's uh, that's a free market for ideas and and money. Not to get back to to religion, but you know it's like um, uh, you can turn back turn back to Bitcoin at any time. Bitcoin's there; <laughs> it's for all people. It doesn't judge. It doesn't care. All you got to do is buy in and believe. Believe in the mission. Believe in the ideas, and hodl. So it's like. Uh, you know, it may, he may be dying on his deathbed one day, but, uh, as long as he turns to Bitcoin and is bought in on that, he's a Bitcoiner. And you know, what other things that people have done in their lives, what mistakes they have made in their life that doesn't determine whether or not they're a Bitcoiner. It might determine whether people should listen to them, but you know, like Bitcoin is for all people, whether you're a criminal, a terrorist, a bad person, uh, uh, you know, doing immoral stuff, Bitcoins for all people. And, um, uh, I feel like we got to encourage that message and we don't want to, what we don't want to do is we don't want to institutionalize Bitcoin as like to be a Bitcoiner, you must do this or be like this, because then I think that that's how we, we malform and corrupt the emergent nature of this thing to your, to your point. Like we want the emergent nature. That's like the like the underlying organic. That's the truth. Yeah. That's how we, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and so this is relevant to your, the, the trajectory of, of big BTC media, because as you said, in 2018, you kind of pivoted and you refocused everything on Bitcoin. And as I keep like, you guys are crushing it now. Like you, you, you've hired a bunch of awesome plebs off Twitter and they're, they're, they're so dedicated and so impressive in their thinking and their able to our ability to articulate ideas. And then there's all sorts of people that contribute writing like, you know, nobodies effectively that have written great pieces, many of whom I've had on, on my podcast to explore some of the ideas they put forward, you know, in those publications. And it's awesome. Right. But as we've been discussing, you know, the evolution of one's thinking about this thing and how much time and observation they have in the space to do that. What was it in 18, that made you refocus or double down on Bitcoin and realize like that's where the game is, not anywhere else. So, you know, we had always been from the very beginning, like 
we were like, I'm not going to say we're the original Bitcoin maximalist, but, but like, uh, uh, you know, I bought Bitcoin magazine from Vitalik so he could go to Ethereum. I'm good friends with every one of the Ethereum founders. Uh, I'm good. I'm friends with David Johnson who did the first ICO. And so like we were extremely close to, uh, the creation of all these protocols and people had tried to pull us in for a really long time. And so for like the first five years of our, our journey in this, like, Hey, we're going to go do Ethereum. You should be, you know, you should invest at 15 cents or you should be a part of this. It's like, Mm, I don't think that's going to work. And we, <laughs> which again has been a humbling experience of me. Being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but, um, so like we, we passed on a whole bunch of this stuff because we just like our conviction had always been in Bitcoin, but like, this is my first business to ever build, you know, uh, it's been a journey for me to learn how to be an entrepreneur and what it means to be an entrepreneur. What's the point of being an entrepreneur? Like it's not about being famous or making money or doing it. Like that's, that's like, if you're, if you're doing the, doing things for the wrong reason, you're going to not have the desired outcome and result. And so, um, uh, for us, like we tried to build a big business. I thought that's what I wanted is build a big business. And so we got into all of these different things that we thought we could make money in that were kind of like fast money things. We got into doing venture invest investing. We had an ICO platform in China that we were a partner in. We had, uh, um, uh, we, we built or were like kind of like key in investing into two big ICOs, uh, in 2017. We, we did a conference for enterprise blockchain these things I didn't believe in per se. I, I kind of had this attitude of like, this is an experiment. I don't know how this is going to play out. So like, let's not ignore this market in case this stuff actually has uh, legs, but we always knew Bitcoin had legs. And so it was like, but we were spending all of this time trying to build businesses and these other things we had low conviction in. And then, you know, all the amateur mistakes you make as a, as an entrepreneur, like, you know, we had, 10 different businesses that we were trying to run simultaneously doing all of these different things and all these different markets. And when in 2017, we made hundreds of millions of dollars in 2018, we lost hundreds of millions of dollars. And when a fire gets started in a, in when your house catches on fire, you can be focused on putting out the fire. When you own a village and a fire breaks out, you know, it's like, okay, a fire can spread building to building and burn the whole village down. And so problems in our business that could have been isolated if we had been focused spread metastasized through the business. Um, and so, you know, then you end up spending all of your time trying to put out fires that are, that are growing faster than you're able to put them out. And then before you notice, before you realize what's happening, it's like, wow, I'm spending no time on Bitcoin and I'm spending all my time putting out fires in businesses that I don't even have conviction in, like true conviction. And like, also I'm not even making money. Like I thought I was doing this to make money and now I'm losing all this money. Like what the fuck am I doing? And so it was really like this, this, um, this a little bit of a, uh, a midlife crisis or an intellectual crisis of like really having to understand the why of what we're doing and why are we about to go bankrupt on a company we've been building for six or seven years because we've been making bet the company bets in things that we didn't believe in. And it's like mm -hmm. how I'm going to live with regret for my entire life of like, 
I could have been doing the thing that I believed in. And instead I spent all my time and all my money trying to support things I didn't. And, uh, it really got crystallized when we had, uh, we had distributed, we had a, uh, uh enterprise blockchain thing. Cause we wanted to make a media, oh, I hate myself so much, but we wanted to make a, a media <laughs> thing for like the IBMs of the world and stuff. And they're all getting excited. And then, so we created this brand called distributed to try to like sanitize a little bit, the message of decentralization so that it was more palatable to them, which is like the opposite of what we should have been doing. But again, this is like, just, you know, it is what it is. Learning process. Yeah. So, uh, we did this conference distributed 2018 in San Francisco and it was a slug of a conference to put on. And I mean, you're dealing with all these just shit projects and, and, um, we had like maybe a thousand people come and I mean, you know, uh, uh, it was not our best product, but after the conference, um, I had a lunch breakfast with uh, Aaron Von Warden from our team who had always been, uh, like our technical editor for Bitcoin magazine, writing like great Bitcoin content for Bitcoin magazine. And he was like, David, we're spending all this time on this other stuff because you don't want to uh, miss out on a market that might be important. But the truth is, is that all this other stuff is downstream from Bitcoin. Like what happens in Bitcoin determines what happens in all of these other protocols. If Bitcoin has scaling problems, everything has a scaling problem. If, if Bitcoin has uh, custody issues or regulation issues, everything else has the same issues. So we don't need to try to spread our resources and our time and our focus across all these other protocols because we don't want to, we don't want to miss out on some emerging element when really, since everything's downstream, if we just focused all of our resources and time into the thing that we actually had conviction in Bitcoin, like having a, a, a voice in Bitcoin means you have a voice in every protocol. You have a voice in the entire ecosystem, even though you're Bitcoin only. And dude, when he said that to me, it was just like, just like, you're right. I mean, it's like, I don't even know what I'm thinking. And so I got on a plane and like three hours later I messaged him. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going Bitcoin only. I mean, it's like, this is the, it, it was just so crystallizing. Like, uh, we're not missing out on anything for our investors by saying no to all this other stuff. Like by zeroing in, we're actually expanding dramatically the opportunity for us. And mm -hmm. even if we fucking fail, at least we wake up proud of what we did and that it was worth it. Like, you know, like, so, um, that was like, uh, August. Um, I, uh, got, took us about like 60 days to, to execute all the divestment of all of the businesses. We had laid off huge amount of the company. It was a, it was a traumatic experience, but it was just like, this is it. This is why this is what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, you're either on the ship or you're off the ship. And a lot of people were not, I mean, there, we had a lot of ETH heads that worked at the company at the time. We, I mean, we had people that were like, eh, this is not what I signed up for. Um, and you know, I thought that this was the right move. No one else was doing that. No one really is even still doing that to this day, a, a Bitcoin only media company. So, but, um, 
you know, at the, at the time I felt, I felt convicted about it. My partner, Tyler, he felt convicted about it. Like I, it felt like the right thing to do. But when we did that first conference, Bitcoin 2019, which was like, uh, uh, you know, was again, going back to the blog post, make Bitcoin fun again. Like we wanted to bring back the Bitcoin culture or not bring it back. It was there, but just, we wanted to like make it inviting. Um, that conference was the most amazing thing that we had ever done as a business. We didn't make money on it, but it was like, like the, it wasn't until that conference that I knew what product market fit was. Like I, I had, I knew what the term meant. Like I thought I knew what it was, but like product market fit is like, it's like getting stoned. Like if you're, if you're, if you're wondering if you're stoned or not, like if you're smoking marijuana for the first time, you're like, am I stoned? You're not stoned. It's like, but when you're stoned, you know you're stoned. Like, okay, product market fit is like that. It's like, if you're wondering whether you have it, you don't have it. Like when people are literally figuring out ways to like figure out your mom's cell phone number so that they can call your mom and ask her about when the next conference ticket sales are going live. Like when you have people that are literally uh, yelling at you because they're pissed that you know, they, they, they can't get more, they can't sponsor more. They can't like, it was like, bing, bing, bing. This is like total validation that there is a big market of people that want this. They want to focus on Bitcoin. There are people who are outside of Bitcoin who are interested in Bitcoin and the amount of stuff that emerged from that conference, like the, the startups that were started there, you know, founders that met each other, their future founder at the conference, uh, uh, devs that were Ethereum devs who said, Hey, wow, I had totally misunderstood the, the culture of, of core development. I want to be a core contributor. Uh, like just the, the tangible benefits that spun out of that conference were like, wow, this is, this is the mission. This is the purpose. It's like just clear as day. So that event was 2000 people. And then, um, we started working on Bitcoin 2020. Uh, that event was going to be probably, if I had to guess 4,000 people or so, or 5,000 people. So a lot of growth, but the pandemic wrecked us on it. Um, and, uh, I would say like, that was like the, uh, uh, that the pandemic where we almost got wrecked and our community saved us by not like, if everyone had been like, we demand refunds, we were so financially exposed. We had paid for everything. Every, all the money was out the door. It was like, you know, we were in a lawsuit with a, a vendor, like people who owed us money and they're like, I don't have the money to pay you. Um, and so our community, not like, like being understanding of that, dude, I will like, I will always be thankful. But that was kind of where it was like, uh, um, the last piece of what we were holding on to of like, um, like, like, you know, leave it all on the field or whatever. Like we were, we were leaving 99% of it onto the field. We had like 1% we were holding back that near death experience. Mm -hmm. It was like, fuck it. YOLO, like, like just lean in a hundred percent. And so we took all of our money and put it in Bitcoin. The, the, we keep about 90 days cash flow on the, on us. Everything else rides in Bitcoin. Um, you know, we, uh, made it where we will only hire Bitcoiners going forward. We made, made it where, you know, um, you know, like we had these little things that were just so extreme. We hadn't committed to yet, but then we just like, we took it up that next notch and 
the company just has bloomed. I mean, bloomed in terms of like, we're getting the best talent. I feel like we have great people. I appreciate uh, what you said about our contributors and, and who we've been hiring. You know, when we hire people, we tell them like, you're going to work twice as hard than you worked at your last job. And we're going to pay you half as much as they paid you, you know, uh, but it's going to be fun. And like people like we had, we've hired 30 people in the last three months and we've had like almost 2000 applicants for those jobs. Wow. Um, the, the conference, like, so we postponed the conference, the conference swelled in size to roughly 13,000 people, um, for 2021. Uh, the reaction we've gotten from it is just, we, we made a lot of mistakes. We'd never done an event like that. There was a lot of rough edges. Like I really apologize to everyone for the lines. Like it, there, there's a lot of stuff I wish we could have done better, but it, again, we're learning. Um, but like we, we see this thing so clearly in front of us of how big this market is, how big the, the total addressable market sizes, uh, how demanded knowledge, education, investment opportunities, networking, um, culture is from this community. And like, we want to scale this, this event, like, you know, this year we're going for 35,000. We're going to bet all of the company's resources on, on this event. Um, hopefully it works. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> not. Maybe CT will be hiring, but, um, uh, like one, but like once we're done with that, um, you know, we, we, we follow the four year cycle market cycle. So we think that probably after next year's event, it might slow down a little bit. Um, but like our goal is to scale this to a million person event of a, a 5 million person event. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that like 10 million people or 20 million people go on the pilgrimage to Mecca every year. Um, you know, we don't like, we're not competing with CES. We're competing with like Christmas mass at the Vatican. We're competing with, you know, uh, uh, like we are building an ideological movement and this event is to celebrate those ideas and to bring together the, the, um, coalition, this weird coalition we spent this podcast talking about so that they can interact with each other and appreciate each other and appreciate someone else's perspective. And like, dude, we want people at this conference to, and we did it in for 2021, but we want them to like laugh. We want them to cry. We want them to boo. We want them to, to cheer. We want them to, we want the entire emotional range of stuff because mm-hmm. like, like that's Bitcoin touches people in a way that nothing else does. And, uh, you know, we also like the one observation I've had that I think would be useful for your podcast listeners. And I hope this, uh, inspires somebody to do something. You know, there's this weird dynamic of like what we were discussing earlier, like this, this technology is inevitable. Like this, the incentives are such that this is going to happen regardless of you, you or me, it's going to happen no matter what the politicians do. Like this is an inevitability. And, you know, when you think about it like that, you, you kind of like, okay, well then you kind of expect all these things to kind of just automatically occur because the incentives are there the opportunity to put together a Bitcoin only event for the Bitcoin ecosystem and Bitcoin community was sitting there for someone to do for five years. It's still sitting there for someone to do. No one was doing it. I don't know why no one was doing it, but no one was doing it in a way where it was like, Hey, let's, let's do something 
for the masses. They're technical events and stuff, but not, not like what we had done. And all it took, it's not like there's anything special about us. It just took someone saying, Hey, I'm going to fucking raise this flag and I'm going to, you know, uh, put in the work that it takes. And this thing is just going to emerge as this event that is like uh, this, this thing that really has a big impact and effect on people. And it's like, there are probably many, many, many things in Bitcoin. And in fact, not just probably, there are many, many, many things in Bitcoin where you might assume that if it would have worked, someone would have already done it. Or you might assume that the incentives are such that like, I don't need to do this. The market will do this. But that assumption is probably not true. Like you should raise the flag and you should go do it and you should see what emerges from it. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm shocked that the market has given us the opportunity to do what we're doing at Bitcoin magazine and what we're doing at the conference. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm shocked that no one yet is really trying to copy the model because it's the only model, like everything else out there, every other crypto outlet, blockchain outlet literally is wasting their time and money, like just burning and driving in the totally wrong direction. And, um, uh, like they can change that any day of the week. They just have to make the decision of like, Hey, we're going to like, we're going to invest in the Bitcoin too. And they could be competing with us. Um, but no one is, I don't know. And that's an opportunity for your listeners. That's the opportunity like, uh, uh, for every person in this community, like we do not own the Bitcoin conference. We do not own the right to be the official outlet of Bitcoin information and analysis and stuff. Like we're just doing it. And we're, we're gaining that, that, uh, reputation as an outlet for that information because where else do people go? And I, and I, we would, we want competition. We want more people doing what we're doing because it makes us better. You know, like I, the, uh, we go, like there are some great smaller events, tab conference, um, uh, Gary Leland's conference, Bitblock boom, which is an awesome conference. Uh, Ragnar's guns and Bitcoin, uh, uh, like, we're trying to learn from all of these events and, and borrow good ideas, synthesize good ideas. You know? <laughs> I mean, we, we want to make the best product possible for the world. And the more people that are competing with us on that front, the better our product's going to be, the faster the whole ecosystem and universe of opportunities in Bitcoin will grow. So like, just don't, don't think that you shouldn't do something just because, you know, you, you, you think you, I don't know. I don't, don't just take for granted the fact that you're in a position to do something about the environment that you're in. You're in yeah. a position to I, I, tomorrow. I would say, broadly speaking, this speaks to your point here. Don't be careful of being overly narrow in your perception of what Bitcoin is and can be, because I think this is one of the things that's beginning to turn now, but it's been lagging and you're, your own experience is a great example of this, but a lot of people see Bitcoin through a fairly narrow framework still. Oh, it's gold 2.0. It's the world's best collateral. It's the world's best store of value. No, it, it, it is that, but it is an, an entire ecosystem and it's an entire market. It's an entire total addressable market for things that we haven't even been developed yet. It's the baseline for, a new, you know, a new economy, a new, a new, system of valuation. And, and that is enormous. There's almost no limits to that. And 
I think this is partially responsible for a lot of the shit coinery because people say, oh, Bitcoin can't do this or it won't be this. So we got to go create it elsewhere. And I think it's much more an order of events issue than a possibilities issue. I think Bitcoin has prioritized the right order of events, and that's made certain trade-offs initially that will maybe bloom later. Um, But I I think the world is just now, I think the, the development of lightning is starting to make people realize like, oh, this can be a lot more than I initially thought it was. And so that's starting to change the narrative in that domain. I think as a result of that, we will see a lot more companies focus specifically on Bitcoin and not just say like, what can Bitcoin do, but just almost have an intuition like Bitcoin can improve or encompass this idea. I don't know exactly how yet, but I'm sure that eventually it will be able to. Therefore, we're going to investigate it. We're going to build it or whatever. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I, it, yeah, it pisses me off when, when I hear people, uh, uh, try to put Bitcoin in a box and say, this is what it can and can't do. It's like, like, uh, with basic math, you can build complex math and from complex math, you can build airplanes. And so it's like, you get from arithmetic to airplanes. And so, you know, uh, uh, we are at the stage of Bitcoin, you know, having its rules of arithmetic. And uh, I don't buy fundamentally the, the argument that, oh, well, um, we can't learn new tricks using these basic rules and functions to achieve new things. And like, what was the limiting agent on getting lightning working? Engineers spending time on it? Like, you know, uh, uh, people knowing about the idea, like things that are within the control of our community to like have, get more engineers, get more excitement, get more people doing stuff. And so, um, I think that that's just, uh, uh, like Bitcoin can do many, many things. You just have to learn how to work within the rules of the system. And, you know, also the ethos of our conference, like we, our editorial process is if you want to sponsor the conference, announce something at the conference, be a part of the conference, you must be doing something with mainnet Bitcoin. We don't care what it is because we don't feel like we have the right to say what is and isn't a valid use of Bitcoin. You just have to be doing something with mainnet Bitcoin and you can't be advocating for breaking uh, Nakamoto consensus. It's gotta be, it's gotta be uh, a, a BTC, but um, you can just be accepting it for payment you can be building a side chain. You could be a, uh, 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 building NFTs on Bitcoin. I don't know if any of those ideas are going to work long-term. I don't know if they're viable or not. I'm not a smart enough person to know that stuff, but people need to be experimenting and, uh, and demonstrating what can and can't work so that it can inspire others about how do they build upon, you know, the, the, how do they build stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. And so like, that's yeah. how we push all this stuff forward. And, and as a community, our power is like the, the power to inspire others, uh, the the power to inspire good ideas. Like that's a powerful thing that we have to embrace as a community. And um, that's one of our goal. I mean, that's a core goal of the conference. Like we go way out of our way to make it where you know, for Bitcoin 2019, all the arcade games, for example, had were lightning enabled, and it's like it's completely impractical. And, you know, like no one's fucking using a Satoshi to go play an arcade game, but the experience of like 
showing someone what is possible, having them go through it on an app, complaining about the app. Oh, this, this is too clunky to make this work. Yada, yada. It should be done like this. Like that's, that's the goal. It's like open people's eyes to where this can go and then put them in a position to make it better. Yeah. Totally agree, man. Two comments and one question, and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. But the, the, the two comments are, one, you, you mentioned like the power of having the team aligned with the mission. You know, you, talk, you hear about this in, big, in uh, business books and all that stuff all the time, but it's kind of cliche and it's, 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 never, it's not often real. And it's so evident how real it is in Bitcoin and in particular with your team at the conference. And I like, I'll never forget this moment. I was up on the stage introducing someone or something and I looked down and cause you kind of assume like the people that working the conference, they're all busy, you know, m- making sure everything is taken care of. But right down in the front row, I remember seeing Nick and Dylan and maybe a few of the other guys and they were all just like, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, like just smile. They're so excited. I don't know what panel it was or what was happening, but like they were so excited to like be there and not only be working it, but participating in it, taking it in, meeting everybody. Like, and when you got that, like when you got team members that feel that way about your product, I mean, as you say, I mean, you could pay them half as much and they'll work twice as hard, but like you'll all together be, be uh, deploying so much more like authentic energy and insight and you know all your 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 talents and tools that you could bring to bear they get pulled out of you when you're put into an environment where you you're so bought into the mission you know and it it was so cool to see that uh, at the conference and then the other thing about the the conference that was so special you mentioned you know you wanted people to have the whole gamut of experience laughing crying you know built meeting partners all that kind of stuff that was definitely my experience i mean i'm not a big crier but you know, I definitely had some moments there where the tears were coming down my face, whether it was like meeting plebs and really having a really great time with people that I'd only connected with digitally before. But I also had the opportunity to be backstage after Jack's announcement. You know, you get Jack Maller saying, like, I'm going to die on this hill. Leader of a country is up there saying that they're going to make Bitcoin legal tender. Jack comes back. He's a mess. He's crying. Everyone's in the back crying. And, you know, I'm just looking around and I start going like, <laughs> You know, like like you can't hold it back. And it's amazing that you've created a venue for those seminal moments to occur. And it like or the Ross recording also had me just a mess as well. And uh, it's you you really create an environment where magic can happen when you bring all these people that are together that are so dedicated to such a a high or elevated or uh, for lack of a better term, valid mission, like honorable mission, let's say. And then you you show them what it can be and what it's becoming. I mean, there's few things that I've experienced that have been more powerful than that. But I'm curious, you know, you said you want this to be like a million, five million, you know, like a, a mecca sort of thing. Do you think once this is a fait accompli and like Bitcoin is just the value transfer protocol for humanity, and like people are born into it and it's just de facto. Yeah, of course, Bitcoin is the thing, right? Like fiat currency, of course, was an abomination. That was a really stupid period, dark age of our of, of our history. And now we're we're out of that. Do you think there'll still be the type of reverence or enthusiasm for the instrument itself and therefore a reason to come together? Or will it just become part of the fabric that nobody really notices? So... Um... 
It's a good question. So that's a good question. You know, when you look at, when you take the religion example, uh, uh, religion is still around today. I mean, arguably more people follow religion today than at any time in, in the past. Um, but I do think people have probably lost the plot of what those religious views probably were when they got started or what the point of them was. Um, and so like, will people lose the plot of Bitcoin when they, uh, let's say take it for granted. I think that's what we got to fight against. Like, that's why I feel like our role at Bitcoin magazine is so important is that we're like, we're archiving the, the, the genesis of something that will impact society for tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years. And like, the world needs to know how it happened. So that way it's not left up to some, uh, malicious person in the future to prescribe alternative motives or alternative reasons and, you know, take advantage of people's ignorance. Um, uh, but I do think like, like in another sense, math has survived over time and math, we take for granted. It sits in the background. It's like this thing that we all use. And, you know, we all, I think there's, I think everyone has a respect or almost everyone has a respect for math. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not like there's a massive, you know, math, uh, uh, festival that occurs every year, you know, where <laughs> pilgrimage, math pilgrimage, maybe there should be though. I mean, maybe there should be, um, but I, I you know, it, uh, I think it's going to take so much time for the change that Bitcoin brings about to occur. Like, you know, hyper Bitcoinization, 100% adoption of Bitcoin. That's not the end point. That's the beginning point. That's where it starts. Like we're just trying to get to the starting line. And so when we have hundred percent adoption of Bitcoin, what humanity is going to manifest and make possible like is gonna, I mean, dude, it's, it's, it's not like there's ever a point where evolution just like pauses and it's like, okay, we've evolved to the, the pinnacle. No, it's like, like that's when there's not going to be, uh, anything restricting that evolution from happening at the maximum possible speed. And so, mm. you know, I think I, and I, and I think there'll probably be a future battle. I don't know if you've ever read, uh, uh, unchained, uh, Deruv, uh, put that article together mining, on mining in space, the center of hash. Yeah. Uh, and there's like three yeah. parts to it. If you haven't read all three parts, it's in my, yeah, I had Jeruv on a few episodes ago and we, we touched on it. Yeah. It's amazing. I think it's one of the best thought pieces. That's that is someone who has conviction and is able to put their mind in the headspace of, 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 you know, where this is going. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like soul coin, I think is what they called it when, you know, uh, uh, because of the speed of light, the limitations on how far away, how, how big the Bitcoin economy can be. And as it's becomes multi-solar system based, we'll have to have something with longer block times to expand. Right. And it was so, like a couple hundred years or something. Yeah. Like, block time for yeah. Coin, like yeah. as, as we scale up the, the, the degree, like, yeah, we could have millennium block times. Um, probably going to be some pretty radical, uh, fights that <laughs> unfold over who gets, you know, is it soul coin? Is it, is it, you know, uh, a moon coin, meta coin, but, um, 
also how you you would use the the block history to like assess where a civilization is at you know like how much work had gone into it is the best indicator of how advanced the civilization civilization might be should you come across a new one somewhere you know yeah Interesting concept. No, totally so you know i it, it'll it's hard it's hard to say what the world will look like and what will be the priorities of the world once we do reach a hundred percent adoption um, and, and, uh, what the world will need then. But I do think it is to the utmost importance that we build a cultural history and a culture of, of Bitcoin that permeates through time and space where, you know, there are certain ideas imbued into the very concept of Bitcoin itself. And, uh, if we can make it where like freedom to trade, freedom to freedom to, to speak, Freedom to, to do business with who you want, when you want, where you want, how you want. is just imbued into our concept of money. And as a species, as we expand through the solar system, to say that someone doesn't have that right would be equivalent to saying someone doesn't have the right to use math to, to improve their life or doesn't have the right to breathe air. Like, like wow, what an amazing thing that we've done. I mean, for life you know, for the whole purpose mm-hmm. of whatever this thing is, this simulation we're living in, like, uh, my God, is there anything more important than that? So, you know, I don't know, man. I, I just, uh, all I can say is that, that we, everyone just needs to lean in because the, the El Salvador, and we touched on this earlier, the El Salvador situation opened the floodgates to what comes next. And, uh, Things are about to get really fun, really exciting, really scary. Uh, I can tell you from the people who are coming to the conference, like the tickets that are getting registered, the people that are talking to us, the companies that are, are talking to us about sponsorship, like uh, we, we take for granted how much Bitcoin is an iceberg and what we see on Bitcoin Twitter and what we see at Bitcoin Magazine and what we, what, what we see elsewhere is just the fucking sliver of the top of all the stuff that's going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we just uh, take a second maybe to appreciate of like how big this is, this is getting. I mean, the biggest hedge funds in the world, the biggest companies in the world, the biggest energy companies in the world, the uh, presidents of nations, uh, the, uh, uh, I mean, people, people that are having to, attend in secret because of the political implications or the business implications of if they get seen there. Uh, the, I mean, it's just like, like, dude, this is just this, this is ground zero for like societal (laughs) change. So, um, it's fucking cool. This conference is going to be dope. I hope to see everyone there. Uh, I'm sure there'll be new hiccups. So don't get too mad at us. We will, we will take care of you if there's any hiccups, but like we are going as big as we possibly can go. Uh, we are going as reckless as we possibly can. We added a, a music festival that we just announced uh, onto the last day where we have artists coming in from around the world that are Bitcoiners. So the first artist, Logic, Logic he bought, I think, $16 million worth of Bitcoin like two years ago um, and has been holding. So you know, he likes Bitcoin a lot. Right now. <laughs> we have some other really big names. We're going to be announcing lots of really big names, um, that represent that the Bitcoin counterculture. And, uh, you know, the, like 
we are trying to bring the world into our coalition. So we're going to, we're going to have athletes. We're going to have musicians. We're going to have porn stars. We're going to have politicians. You know, I'm, I'm wanting to get a panel of presidents together, uh, that Bukele could moderate, uh, on, uh, on Bitcoin as legal tender. You know, uh, we are, we're trying, you know, we're talking about letting, having workshops for people to 3d print their own, uh, receivers, um, uh, for, for guns. We're talking about workshops for having people be able to stand up their own node and, uh, be able to, um, uh, use different privacy tools for their Bitcoin. We're talking about having, uh, uh, a Bitcoin hardware wallet frozen in an ice block that you use a flamethrower to melt the ice block, uh, to get to the, uh, hardware wallet. Um, you know, we have, I mean, dude, the, the, as wild as you can get, you know, we're, we're manufacturing a 40 foot tall volcano. Um, uh, that's going to be a bar in the center of the exhibit hall that we're going to put the El Salvadorian flag out, um, for, you know, geothermal volcano Bitcoin mining. So it's like, as reckless as we can be, um, and still afford to survive is what we're going with. And it's going to be fun. I promise people are going to have a good time. I'm so jacked right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, man. Yeah. Amazing stuff. I, I, I can't wait for the conference. And, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm such a fan of what you and the team are doing and it's just, it's hit after hit, you know, so you guys are, are obviously really hitting a stride. So, you know, kudos hey, for that. And I, I want to say one more thing. Cause you, I, I forgot to mention it. You said about the importance of having a, a mission that the team has bought in on. There are so many cliches in business that you, you think you understand this is, it's the same with Bitcoin. It's the same with, I'm sure with religion, it's probably the same with everything. There are these cliches that seem so, uh, uh, obvious that you feel like it's obvious that you know them, but you don't really know them until you've lived them. And you're like, Oh, that's what it means. Like product market fit. It's so easy to read a right. definition of product market fit versus experience it. And, uh, when people say, Hey, like having a company culture where the team is aligned around a mission, you're right. It's totally cliche, but it's essential because like, as the business grows, it's like a race car that you're driving at max speed and the, the, or are you a skier? Snowboarder. Yeah. Snowboarder. Okay. So I'm a horrible, horrible skier, but the analogy is, is good. It, you have to, if you're skiing, you have to lean into skiing. If you get scared and you pull back, you're going to fall. So mm-hmm. the only way to make it to the bottom of the mountain is to lean in to the, into the speed. And like when building a business and growing and scaling something big, it's the same way. If you get fearful, if you have indecision and you want to pull back, you can unrail the whole business you have to lean in to the momentum and the speed. And the only way you're going to have the conviction and the confidence, unless you're an absolute psychopath to lean in is if there's a mission there that you're following. And the only answer is obvious because that's what the mission demands. If our company was focused purely on making money, I'd be having complete decision fatigue or uh, paralysis right now. 
oh, is this worth doing or not doing? Because it's going to cost this much and we're only going to make this much back. Is it worth booking? Is it worth blowing a few million dollars on, on a, a music festival? A fake volcano. Not, yeah. Or a <laughs> volcano or any of these things. And it's like, uh, probably not. I don't know. I, I don't know. But if I approach it from the standpoint of like, Hey, what do What's our goal? It's hyper Bitcoinization. What's the message I'm trying to communicate? I want people to come in and be shocked by a fucking volcano and say, what is that? Oh, that's the volcano that the nation state of El Salvador is using to mine Bitcoin uh, in a green way and to empower their nation and, you know, to, to give their people hope in their country. Okay. Well, that's a message I want to communicate. And so fuck it. If that, if that gets across the message, let's do it. It's obvious. Like, oh, how many people do we want to have at the conference? Okay, if the goal is hyper-Bitcoinization, it's obvious. As many people as we can fucking fit in the building. Like, that's the, that's the answer. Uh, somebody asked the other day, do we want to optimize for revenue here, or do we want to optimize for attendance? Optimize for attendance. Like, the revenue, fuck the revenue. Get as many fucking bodies in there as we possibly can. So, like, I only have that, that ability to do that because we have a, a clear mission and my team is only bought into to that level of fucking crazy because they're bought in on the same mission. And if we didn't have that, we'd be fucking coming apart of the wheels right now because we're we're going too fast. So, dude, that's just like if you want to change the world and do something really big, you got to have that or you, your, your system is not going to scale. Your team's not going to scale. Your decisions and your risk tolerance isn't going to scale. Um so, and I think you guys are pioneering that. I think a lot of companies are going to wake up to the value of plugging in or focusing in on Bitcoin because for a lot of people, like as we were talking about earlier about symbolism and meaning, like what is more meaningful at this juncture in humanity's history than getting this thing across the line, right? Like very few things I would say. And so realizing the benefit to be derived from hey, focusing on name, Bitcoin. Can you name anything? I can't, no, but we're I both nuts, it. right? <laughs> fair, fair. I was just trying to be fair to people yeah. out there that may not share, you know, may not agree with us. Um, but the point is, is like, how much of an asset is it when you get that kind of buy-in from your team? And Bitcoin is just this glowing opportunity to say, hey, you're going to benefit in all the typical ways of income and market share and, you know, all the all the normal metrics. And your team is going to be so bought in because this is one of the most meaningful things in the world today. So what are you waiting for? You know, and so kudos to you guys for blazing a trail because you're, you're showing everyone how it's done. Hey, and I want to, I want to also give uh, kudos to, to Corey Klipstein at Swan who uh, led the way on uh, hiring uh, Bitcoiners only. Uh, you know, we borrowed that, that playbook from Corey seeing how it worked for Swan and, uh, I highly recommend it to anyone on this podcast who's listening, who runs a business and is trying to in affect that cultural change within the business, like hire for the culture you want to have and wear it proud and don't water it down and don't be bashful about it. And it, it will pay so many dividends down the road. So, uh, uh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Corey, for, uh, the inspiration there. Yeah. Well said and love what the guys at Swan are doing. Um, man, we could we could chat for hours, obviously, but I, I'll let you go for now. Anywhere you wanted to direct people before we shut it down? Uh, Bitcoin Conference, Bitcoin 2022. 
Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, uh, check it out. Read it daily. Um, we got some cool stuff coming that the community is going to love from UTXO. And if you want to get some free sats, uh, do some educational courses on Bitcoin and earn earn some BTC. Download the Carrot app. Uh, What's UTXO again? The venture fund or something? It, it's it's our uh, uh, Bitcoin fund. It's like a value fund. So uh, UTXO management. And then we have uh, one fund in there. It's a, a it's a hedge fund. Has about a hundred million AUM. A little bit less than that. And uh, uh, it's going to have a new product that we're launching. Uh, to, to seed lots and lots of Bitcoin ventures. And, uh, I think it's pretty exciting. So, uh, we'll Man. be sharing more news on that soon. Um, trying to get it ready in time for the conference. Amazing. So many irons in the fire, man. It's, it's so exciting. Um, but yeah, congrats on all the success and, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you in the com- at the conference in a few months time, John, I will see you there. You got to help us get, uh, uh, acres there. We need to get the Acre CEO there, giving some thought leadership on for energy companies. Um, so I'll, I'll, make make sure the, the, I'll make sure the request gets uh, put across the desk and we'll see what we can do. All right, John. All right. Thank you for All having right, me on and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. Ciao. I hope you guys enjoyed that chat with David. I love getting the chance to speak with people who've been involved in the space for so long to see how it's informed their observations of where we are now and where we may be headed. If you'd like to hear more from David, follow him on Twitter at David F. Bailey and visit b.tc to learn more about the various brands and projects he's involved with. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop and we'll see you next time.